Good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, one verse, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, as we do um, a little bit of a different approach, a topical approach here as we celebrate, but also challenge our fathers on Father's Day. Next week, we will get back into our series in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 13, Mark for a Mission. Dads, it is a great honor to have you here with us. Congratulations, happy Father's Day, and all of those wonderful things. Um, I think about the focus that we can have this morning on our Heavenly Father, who offered His own Son. Dan reminded us um, of this truth. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't ever, ever, ever forget that. Don't ever let that get old. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The marvelous truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, I am anxious to get in this. I want to make wise use of our time. Would you please, first and foremost, just bow your heads and pray with me as we ask for God to open our eyes, our hearts, our ears. Uh, to see and to hear him. Let's pray. Father, once again, we are amazed with this privilege you've given to us yet one more time, one more day. We have your word open before us. And God, I would ask that in a unique, in a powerful, in a supernatural way that you would speak to us, that we would hear. Uh, Father, we thank you for the amazing example that is given to us as men, of you being the ultimate and the greatest Father. Help us, Lord, to follow and to learn to be like you. It says in your word, Lord, that as you are holy, we are to be holy. God, we admit and confess that we cannot, cannot, cannot do that in our own strength, but we need your strength. Please give us the ability to do that. God, I would ask that you be with people that are here at this very moment. Perhaps they have had a swirling, crazy week of activity. Lord, just quiet their heart. Minister to them as you see fit. Please, please uh, guard my mind and my mouth. May everything that is said um, and done be for your glory. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. I remember it very, very clearly. Um, it was a Sunday morning, um, January the 27th, 1991. Uh, Wendy woke me up at about 3.30 in the morning, and she said this. She said, honey, it is time. And I'm thinking, time for what? It's 3.30 in the morning. She's like, remember, I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a baby. And, and I remember driving, like, it was just like in the movies, crazy, like, to get to the hospital. Um, and it was, it, was, it was on Super Bowl Sunday at 11.33. And I remember that, that the doctor handed to us the world's ugliest baby that I had ever seen in my entire life. Cone-shaped. I'm like, what is this? Like, what do we do? have no idea. 
We're kids. We're 21, 22 years old, just married. We're like, what do we do with this? And I remember um, um, I needed fresh air. I remember I was like, okay, this is neat, but just stay. And I went out. I had to go outside and, and I'm... And I'm walking around, it's cool out, it's cold out. And I went for a drive and I thought, I don't know what to do here. Balloons, I need balloons. When babies are born, you get balloons. And so I bought these big blue balloons. And then I, and then I bought a big blue banner that said, it's a boy. And I, and I bought blue bubblegum cigars to hand out. And, and I came back and I remember walking back in and, and Seth was born down in, in D.C. It was a, uh, primarily or predominantly a black uh, a portion of the city. And, and as I went into the nursery, um, he was the only white baby in the entire nursery. And those dear precious nurses, those gals, as I was getting my little blue bubblegum cigars to hand to them, were, as I'm walking in, they said this, we know what babe is yours. Pretty obvious. Since that day, I have wanted to be a great dad. I didn't want to settle to be a good dad. A lot of a lot of guys could be good dads, but I have sought to be a great dad. And to tell you the truth, since that time, I think I have made every mistake that a father could ever make. The effort, the intention was there and I've just blown it like over and over and over again. As I was praying this week on, on Lord, what can I offer these dear folks? I I compile a list of this is, this is men. This is what I've come up with from the word of God, a different approach, a topical approach. But I come up with, came up with a list of, 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 of seven things that a great dad does. I want you to hold on to these. I want you, I want you wives and mothers to, to hold your husbands accountable. Kids, I want you to listen to this. And hold your dads accountable. And men, hold one another accountable to this. Let's go to the very top. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul is writing. And he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I'm reading from the ESV. It's worded exactly the same in the New American Standard. The Christian Standard Bible says it like this. Fathers, don't, don't stir up anger in your children. It's almost as if anger already exists in there, right? Don't, don't stir it up. Don't stir up anger in your children. Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. The NIV says it like this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Now, there is no doubt that that these chapters, chapters 5 and chapter 6 of Ephesians, give great instruction for families. It speaks about responsibilities in marriage of husband and wife and mother and father and even children. It's not uncommon in this tactic that the Apostle Paul uses to begin his, his admonition for us or his instruction for us with a, with a negative action to avoid, don't do this. And he moves toward a positive action to put into practice. Interesting as well, this is important enough that Paul just doesn't write it to the church at Ephesus. He words almost the exact same phrase when he writes to the church at Colossae. 
In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21, he says, Fathers, do not provoke. There's that word again. Lest they become discouraged. There's something heavy here. There's a weight of responsibility inevitably that falls on the hearts, on the shoulders of dads. There's something strong when you see the same word, paragizio. It means to, to anger alongside or to enrage or to move one towards wrath, to move one towards anger. Dads, we have the ability to do that, and I think we have the ability to do it very, very easily. And that's why this instruction is so strong. It's not an implication. It's not like, well, I think Scripture implies this. It's direct. It's very strong. Apparently, it's a very serious matter. That's the responsibility that rests upon a dad. Now, please understand, ladies, this does not diminish or dim the responsibility of a mother. Several weeks ago, when Matt McDermott preached on Mother's Day, on Proverbs 31, what? She opens her mouth with wisdom. She looks well to the ways of our household. Her children arise up and call her blessed. It's almost like um, the ladies have this figured out more than the guys do at some level. So we're not, we're not, we're not absolving a responsibility. I believe that both parents... Both dad and mom play an important God-ordained role in the discipleship of their children. But today is Father's Day. Today we want to look specifically at what? Dads, as we celebrate, but we also have that gentle, firm hand on their back, guiding them and challenging them. So what is it that, that we have to do in order to be a good dad? I think it's pretty simple. We talk about the fact that you better make sure that your children have air. You better make sure that they have water. And you better make sure they have food. In all honesty, we talk about what? Three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food. So guys, if you're doing that, hopefully you are. A place to live, a shelter is additionally nice. But make sure to be a good dad, you take care of the basic physical needs. Put the silly little bike helmet on them. Make sure that they wear their seatbelts. Make sure you check the locks at night. That's dad's job. Get them the instruction. Get them the education that they need. But anybody can do that. Anybody can be a good dad who takes care of their kids physically. But a great dad steps it up and takes care of their kids Spiritually, a great dad teaches the children seven things. I want you to note by way of order in this list. Order is important intentionally. Number one, a great dad teaches his children to fear God more than anything else. Number one responsibility out of the gate. Solomon in his wisdom writes this twice. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Everything begins with our fear of God. Solomon again writes in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is, is insight. We talk in church circles a lot about having a fear of God. Spent some time this week in a simple definition of what does it mean to really fear God? Like, are we to shake? Are we to quake? Yeah, we are. 
John Piper says it like this. I love this very simple definition. To fear God, listen to this. Dads, hold on to this. To fear God means that God is in your mind and he is in your heart so powerfully, so holy, and so awesome that you would not dare to run away from him, but only run to him. I think that's a perfect description of what it really means to fear God. Fearing God is not just what one requirement, it is the only way that we come to the Lord Jesus Christ trembling and broken and contrite in heart. David uses that exact word in Psalm chapter 51. Matthew chapter 5 talks about the fact that we weep and we mourn over our sin. Philippians in chapter 2 says we're to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Now think about this practically. Dads, are you teaching your sons? Dads, are you teaching your daughters that there is only destruction apart from him? Dads, are you teaching your children that they can chase after and they can hunt down and they can gain and they can earn and they can win? Anything that this world has to offer. But if it does not include God, ultimately it will end in destruction. Dads, are you teaching that? Are you showing your kids what it means literally to to tremble at the thought that God is willing to save us? That God is willing to forgive us and make for us a place in everlasting future for Christ, with Christ. Do you, do you explain that and tremble at the very thought of what God in his grace has done for you? A great dad teaches his children to fear God. Secondly, a great dad teaches his children to love God. And there's a difference here. All of the synoptic gospels, Matthew chapter 22, Mark chapter 12, Luke chapter 10, all record Jesus as he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. We know this. Kids memorize it in Sunday school. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, your mind, and your strength. Understand, dads, this is not an option here. Like if you have nothing else, if you'd like to choose one of these, no, no, this is absolute imperative. What I have found is interesting is that dads are not shy and certainly are willing to invest the time into teaching your kids how to love fishing. And you teach your kids how to love hunting, how to love the Pittsburgh Penguins, and how to love basketball or baseball or wrestling or football or the Steelers. Dads take their time to teach your children how to love the Eagles and the Phillies and hot dogs with spicy mustard on it. This is the way you, you love hot dogs. You love them like this. We take what lots of time, but are you teaching them to love God with everything? In a couple hours, I will pronounce a young couple... Zach and Kendra, husband and wife, and they will be reminded this afternoon of what true love is. It's sacrifice. You're offering yourself 
to the other person entirely, completely, without reservation. Therefore, the way that we model and we teach our kids to love God is to teach them the importance of what sacrifice means. That says what? We're not going to go fishing today. We can't go fishing today. Because this is the Lord's day. And we begin what? We go to the Lord's house with the Lord's people. This is separate. This is holy. This is unique. This is a sacrifice for us. That's what it means to love. You teach your children, hey, you know what? We can't buy this this week. We're not going to be able to get this little bit extra that we thought that we were going to be able to have this month. Why? Because we promised And we're going to be faithful to the commitment that we made to give to the Lord sacrificially through our tithes and through our offerings. That's what it means to teach. No, 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 family, we're not going to sit down and watch that. We're not going to sit and laugh at what all the world laughs at. Why? Because God cannot and will not be glorified. And God cannot be honored. With us wasting our time looking at that. That's what it means to to sacrifice. That's what it means to love. And dads, that's what you've got to be doing as you teach your children to fear God and to love God. Thirdly, a great dad teaches their children to know the gospel. All of life. Every morning, all of life that we view in life, every sunrise, every sunset, every raindrop, everything that we see, every action, every motion, every movement, we teach our children to see life through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ more than anything else. In our staff meeting this week, I sat with the men and read in Romans chapter 5. I'd read earlier that day and I wanted to remind them and I was humbly confronted with the fact that Paul writes what in chapter 5 and he says that, and there's a description in verse 6 that says we were weak. It says what in in verse 8, there's a description of us that says that we're sinners. In In verse 10, there's a description of us that says that we're the enemies of God. We're weak, we're sinners, we're enemies, and yet by the time you get to verse 11 of Romans chapter 5, it says we also rejoice. (laughs) We rejoice. Wait a minute, we're weak and we're sinners? It says we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. It is a constant reminder that we what? We praise God. God, that he did the work for us that we simply could not do. Do you teach your children to view all of life through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, celebrate your children's accomplishments. Celebrate graduation from pre-kindergarten. I don't even understand it. Celebrate your child's graduation from kindergarten. Celebrate your child's graduation from elementary school or graduation from junior high or celebrate your child's graduation from senior high. Celebrate the fact that there's participation awards for every single little kid who sat on the bench the entire year and didn't play one bit in youth soccer. Celebrate the fact that they get that little award. 
You get that little medal and you hang it on your mirror. You can celebrate that, but never, ever, ever celebrate that before you celebrate what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. As a matter of fact, use every single celebration that you want to have for your child and says this pales in comparison to what God has done by offering his son to die in our own place. Great dads, great dads. Teach the children to know the gospel. Number four, great dads teach their children to care for others. A great dad will teach his son, a great dad will teach his daughter to care for others more than they care for themselves. Now, let me give you one word. It's a four-letter word of how we do this. It's a simple word. G-I-V-E. Give. 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 Give Give of your time. Sit and listen and talk and ask questions. Give of the gifts that God has been given to you and use them, whatever you have, have. Give of your strength. Give of your monies. Give of whatever you have been entrusted for that brief time into your care and give it to other people. Go mow your neighbor's lawn. Even what? They, they didn't ask for you to do it. You just want to give of your time. I just care for you. I care for you more than I care for yourself. Care for myself. Go rake your neighbor's leaves. Shovel the steps off from a little old lady. My dad just, just pounded this into our minds. I remember being woken up very, very early on a Saturday morning. That's the only day you get to sleep in. Early on a Saturday morning. Boys got a job for you. And he took us, he drove us to this little old uh, lady's house. She was a widow. All day long, we split her firewood. All day. Like 8 o'clock to 6 o'clock at night. All day long, we split someone else's wood. At the end of the day, she came out. She did not have very much. She came out with $5. All day, we'd been working. And, and she came out and she, she said, this, this is for, for you boys. You can have this $5. My dad said, absolutely not. You keep it. My boys love to give their time for other people. <laughs> Think about that. You're teaching and you're showing what other people matter more than yourself. John chapter 13 verse 35 says what? By this, all people, all people, the NIV translates it, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, conditional, if you love one another. Which means if you're not loving one another, if you're not offering, if you're not giving, if you're not spending time, if you're not listening, if you're not... What? How is the world going to know of the love that Christ has shown us if you're not willing to show that to other people? Dad, let me assure you, Dad, let me assure you, you can accomplish much, much more when you invest into the kingdom of God than you invested into your own tiny, piddly, temporary little kingdom. Great dads, number five, teach their children to study scripture. Please don't misinterpret the order here. I'm not saying this is the first time that we open scripture. You can't fear God apart from the word of God. 
You can't love God apart from the word of God. You can't know the gospel apart from the word of God. So please don't say like, whoa, the scripture's on, on, on number five of a list. No, no, no. Scripture's saturated through this. What I'm talking about is that word study. You teach your children to study the topic of scripture and the word of God. How many times, dads, if you are honest, do you come to the conclusion that you don't have a clue what to do next? We've all been there. We don't want to admit it. Don't let anyone see a sweat. But we're clueless on what to do next. How, how, how about gathering the family together? How about bringing out the word of God and sitting it down and say, let's, let's mine deep the wealth that exists and the wisdom that exists in the word of God. Let's examine what the word of God is going to tell us what to do next. Let's search. Let's, let's study it. Let's pray about it. I, 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 don't, I don't think the dads have forgotten. And, and it pains me. It pains me to say this. I don't think the dads have forgotten the value of Scripture. I know the dads have forgotten the value of Scripture. And that's the reason that there is what? There is a society in absolute chaos. And there are families and marriages in, in what? In just stages of disintegration. That, that people forgot that it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 that you study to show yourself approved. That you are to learn how to rightly divide this truth. And dads have forgotten that. Dads are Googling what to do next. Dads are reading the world's philosophies and ideologies where the world is completely confused. And dads have forgotten the value that what? It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that God breathed this into existence and that it is profitable or completely useful for doctrine, instruction, and correction and righteousness. Dads, teach your children. Don't ever, ever, ever find yourself having to dust that off before you bring it to the table. Don't ever, ever allow that to happen. Sixthly, great dads teach their children to be thankful. To be thankful. It seems like rather obvious. No, 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 no. You teach your children. Let me tell you the way you teach your children to be thankful. You teach your children to be thankful by being thankful yourself. Literally, for everything. The fact that God woke you up this morning and gave you one more day. The fact that you have your eyesight for one more day. You wake up and you're like, <gasps> one more day. Kids, come in here. Look at this. I can still see. That's God's grace. One more day, I get to see. I have the blessing. Everything. Did you taste mama's cooking? Stop. Enjoy this. Don't rush through this. This is God's common grace. We're thankful for everything. It says in the word of God, in everything give thanks. And we're, 
we're thankful what, when, when we understand who gave to us these gifts. Psalm 127 says what? It's in verse 3, the children are a heritage, underlined this, from the Lord. You had like a little involved, okay? You had a little part of the process, no doubt. That's God's design. But he's the one. He's the one who what? Knit together. The little one in in mama's womb. He's the one who fearfully and wonderfully made us. Therefore, God has gifted us with these little ones for a brief period of time that we raise them, what? For his glory, for his glory, not your own, not so you can boast and brag about what your son or your daughter has done. No, you live for one reason, to be grateful and thankful to God who gifted you these ones for this day. Every focus is on his glory. There is a tremendous danger of raising thankless kids. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, what? Understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty. Check. That's every day. In the last days, it says, people will be lovers of self. Check. It's everywhere. People talk about themselves more. People want more for themselves than anything. It says that people will be lovers of money. Check. People live for their money. It says that people will be proud and arrogant and abusive. It says that children will be disobedient to their parents. Check. It's all over the place. And then look at this. It says that children will be ungrateful or unthankful. The list goes on, unholy. That we have the potential of having kids be unthankful. What? If they don't have great dads who are modeling what gratitude and what thankfulness is all about. Seventh and finally, great dads teach their children to work hard. To work hard. I cannot emphasize the importance of this one enough because I think that we have a younger generation coming up behind us that is the laziest generation I've ever witnessed. Now, before we are hard on our children, you raised them. And I raised them. And so that's why when, when, when we say, well, how do we stop? We teach our children the value of hard work. It actually says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Well, if you go back to dad's responsibility, you better make sure they have air. It's your job. You better make sure they have water. You better make sure they have food. Well, it gives instruction. That you better make sure that that child knows how to work. I'm not talking, please. I'm not talking in an abusive way. I'm not talking child slavery. I'm talking about what? When they come in with a little blister on their pinky, the whole day doesn't stop. Put a Band-Aid on it and send them back out there. Rub a little dirt on it. I mean, there's something to the fact that young people simply do not know how to work today. And that's a key. Think about what the church is called to do, that we are called to cut into our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. You think that's going to happen without work, without investment, without sacrifice? Absolutely not. It's going to happen when you understand the value 
of hard work. What we have to realize is that God has entrusted into our care these gifts, these little ones. Brief period of time. Believe me, they grow up quickly. And there's this tendency to, to hold on to them, like so tight. Do you realize that the tighter you hold them, the more you will hurt them? Do you realize that? They're not yours. They're on loan to you. You're steward of that little life. The tighter that you hold them, let's just make sure that they don't ever touch this and see this. And how are they going to learn? I love the quote. I love the whole story of General Douglas MacArthur, who, who in 1942 was given the National Father of the Year Award. And there's a little quote from the acceptance speech. I'm not, I, I don't, not speaking for General Douglas MacArthur's doctrine and theology, but he got some things right when, when it talked about raising kids. Do you realize that he was given an award for being the father of the year when he packed up his wife and his children and he moved them to the Philippines? And do you know what was happening in the Philippines in 1942? There's a war going on. Wait a minute. That, that this father took his children to war with him? Do you realize that? That in a sense, yes, and it was dangerous. And they had to move from place to place to place. But he knew what? I want you with me and, and you need to be alongside. You realize that there's this idea that, well, we just can't have that, that there is a war going on outside and that you are called at this very moment to prepare your son and your daughter to work for the glory of God, to live for the glory of God, to breathe for the glory of God. We have an amazing, we have an unbelievable, I'm so thankful that God arranged and ordained the schedule even for day as today as we think about the third Sunday of every month, we celebrate communion. We celebrate, in a sense, what God the Father, the greatest Father could ever do and He offered us his own son. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8. It says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirits. You realize what God the Father did? He offered his son for us. Paul continues on in Romans 8. What shall we say then to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You realize what's happening every single time we pause and we celebrate communion. We're celebrating, commemorating the fact that God offered up the greatest father, offered up his own son for you and for me. We are, we are given visible reminders, tangible reminders. We learn, we learn visually. And that's exactly the lesson that Jesus wanted to teach when he was gathered with the disciples in the upper room. It says that he took some bread. It was unleavened bread. It wasn't, wasn't puffy and beautiful like this. It was flat. And he used it as an object lesson, as, uh, uh, as an illustration. He took the bread and he broke it. He tore the bread. And he said, this, this is what's going to happen to me. My father 
is offering me up. My body will be broken. It says that they took some fruit of, of the vine and he poured it out as a pitcher of the blood that Jesus was to pour out. That he was whipped and he was beat and he was scourged. And his blood was shed so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven. Disciples at some level were clueless. They didn't really get it all. And they watched and they partook. And it was, it was that very night Jesus was betrayed and arrested. And the next day he was crucified. And we are to what? It says every single time we take of the bread and the cup, we remember the Lord's death. There's something about the Lord's death. And that's what we have to hold on to. That's our hope. And Dan reminded us what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John the Baptist saw Jesus afar off. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I don't know about you, but I think about being a dad. I think about being a husband. I think about being a son I'm reminded of the, the mistakes and the sins, the stupid decisions and the selfishness, all of those things that would separate me. And yet because of what Jesus Christ did, I can confess that and my sins are forgiven. This is a reminder, if you are a believer here this morning for you, and I invite you and encourage you to partake and participate. If this is totally new for you and you don't fully understand, let, let me simply remind you that, that by, by trusting in the work of Christ, that his, that his death and his burial and his resurrection are real. And the work of the cross is sufficient for your salvation that in this very moment, in the sincerity of your heart, you can pray, Lord, forgive me. I confess my sin. I trust you as my Savior. I want to live from this moment forward with you being Lord of my life. Then you can pray that. You can trust that. And you can partake for the very first time as a child of God. One adopted in the family of God. I'm going to have the elders come forward. They're going to serve this to you just so that you know. Um, They're going to serve you the bread first. We'll ask God's blessing on both of the bread and also the cup. And then they will serve you the cup and we will um, sing a song of celebration afterwards. But as you pause for these few moments, please don't do this quickly or lightly or flippantly, but do it with a heaviness and a weightiness of what God did for us in offering up his own son. He's the greatest father there could ever be.
Would you pray with me? Father, we um, are so grateful for this reminder that you have given to us. We thank you for what this bread represents, your own body. We thank you, Lord, for the cup. And we thank you for the blood that was poured out on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that it was your son, Jesus, that that bore the full weight of your wrath on our behalf. Lord, every day may we be reminded of that. May, may this be a fresh and a new reminder that drives us for the rest of this day, the rest of this week, that we live looking at life through the lens of the gospel. We're thankful for your grace, your mercy, your love for us. Bless this now and give us the strength to be faithful as we seek to be obedient followers of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen and amen. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ on the very night in which he was betrayed, it says that he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you, for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Thank you, my brothers. It says in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Mark's gospel says before they left the upper room that night that they sang together. And so Dan's going to come and we will sing one more time. May the Lord bless stand together as we wrap up singing of just how great our God is. You know, I marvel in the fact that uh, what he instructed us to do to remember him isn't something elaborate, it's not something difficult. It's, it's eating, it's drinking, you know, so that every time we do that, we can remember the goodness of God. Praise his name. Let's sing together. Let's play.